the sermon yet, but it's been in my head for a while, and boy, the music just really led us into this really, really well. It's good to see you. Let me also add my welcome to Bob and Barb this morning. Fantastic that you could be here this morning. Uh, my name is Steve, if you don't know me. I'm a member of the elder team here at Hall Center Church and a member of the preaching team, and we got some stuff to get through today. We are in a series called Wandering, and we're covering the books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In a quick review, last week we talked about food. David brought just a, a wonderful message. I sat there and just really, really enjoyed it. Talking about the food restrictions that are in the Old Testament and how those set God's people apart. But in the New Testament, we see those restrictions are lifted. And we're like, well, why, why did God have them in the first place? What's going on? But those restrictions were lifted so that we can accomplish the mission of communing with all peoples to introduce them to Christ. And so that was, that's, that's our lead into this week. We're in Leviticus. We're in Leviticus, and a guy named Merrill Unger said, In Genesis, we see man ruined. In Exodus, we see man redeemed. In Leviticus, we see man cleansed, worshiping, and serving. And someone I was reading this week said this. It says, how many well-intentioned Bible reading plans have crashed and burned in this book? <laughs> Filled with detailed descriptions of how Israelites could worship and what they could eat and wear. And if you can relate to that, don't raise your hand. Thank you. <laughs> it's a tough book. You, you, if you, and, and there are a lot of folks that I've heard said, yes, yeah, Steve, I just opened my Bible and I started reading. And it was good for a while. And then it got really rough. And I was like, yeah, it does. And so we're there and we're going to look through that. But... It doesn't take away from the beauty of Leviticus. And, and someone else said that every Jewish child begins with the book of Leviticus and every Christian child ends with it. Uh, and so it's interesting. It's an interesting book. But let's talk about the theme, if we can. The theme of Leviticus. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna, if we want to uh, bring it down to just its simple essence, what are we talking about? And so many folks will say, well, it's about the blood. Others will say it's about the law. Others will say it's about tradition. Well, uh, the Bible Project is just a fantastic resource for you. And the theme that they use, and I just stole it from them and put it up here on the slide, the theme of Leviticus is that God graciously provides a way for people to live in his presence. God graciously provides a way for people to live in his presence. And I recommend the Bible Project to you, anyone that uses YouTube. They have a fantastic channel. They take every book of the Bible, give you an overview. It's nine and a half minutes long. I wanted to show it for Leviticus, but guess what? It didn't make it. 
And so what the Bible tells us is that God is holy and God is set apart and God is the creator and author of life. In the Old Testament, however, we also see that Israel is not holy and they struggle to be set apart. And if they want to live in God's presence, they must be holy too. And so much of Leviticus is a constant reminder of God's grace and their evil. And what we're going to do today is we're going to see how that ties out to us. And so the sermon title that's going to be on Facebook, for those of you that are watching and streaming us, is called God's Trailers. Offerings and Feasts in Leviticus. God's Trailers. I I love the fact that this is probably going to be our most viral video because we're in a rural area and people are going to be like, God has trailers? What's he hauling? Um, That's not what we're talking about. (laughs) You guys familiar with movie trailers? I think so. They come out all the time. Avengers Endgame, one of the top movies of all time in terms of people viewing it. Avengers Endgame tops the list for most watched movies, movie trailers ever. When they released the trailer for Avengers Endgame, within 24 hours, 300 million people had viewed it. Okay? And so, where am I going here? The anticipation for the movie was just pent up, and people got to see something that pointed to something much greater than this two-and-a-half-minute clip. Movie trailers are carefully crafted. You ever seen a movie trailer where it seemed like there was just like this five-second thing at the beginning that introduced the trailer? I'm helping you all today. That's called a bumper. Really. I watched a movie with some nieces this weekend that we had been waiting forever for. And for over a year... All we had was just the trailer to continue to go back to, to give us an idea of what was coming. It was a continual reminder that something greater was coming. And so, well, the offerings and feasts detailed in Leviticus are God's trailers, pointing to something much greater. Okay? And this is how Leviticus is to be read. Indeed, the Old Testament. And as we're going to see, understanding our New Testament requires us to understand these things. And so that is the goal. We got a bunch to get through. If you see me walk all the way over here, that means I'm not following my notes. Kevin, can you come up and push me back over? Because we got a lot of ground to cover. Before we uh, get started, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, We do thank you for your word. We even thank you for the parts that don't have many notes in them for us. And Lord, as we uh, dive in today to the offerings and the feasts that are detailed with just amazing detail in your word, I pray that our hearts will, will, will be filled with gratitude for the reality that these were given to point to the reality of Jesus Christ, who came and bled and died as a sacrifice for our sin. 
Help us to be filled with that knowledge. Help us to be filled with gratitude for that fact. And help us to be living sacrifices that point to that fact to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, we're going to start with some offerings called the consecration offerings. And Jen, sorry about the carpal tunnel. There's a lot of slides, many more slides than anybody ever recommends you put in a sermon. I need you to follow me. Um, We are going to bang through so you get the real sense of how this is kind of pounded home in Leviticus. So the first type of offerings are consecration offerings. We have the burnt offering, the meal offering, and the peace offering. Okay, what are these, Steve? All right. First, these three offerings, ten times, ten times in this passage as these three offerings are talked about, the words, a pleasing aroma to the Lord comes up. Ten times for three offerings. A pleasing aroma to the Lord. For these three offerings, there was no particular violation or sin or occasion that prompted these sacrifices. They're characterized by the expression, it shall be accepted for him. And one of my favorites, they're voluntary. These three offerings, people said, look, let's go and give to God. And they were designed to help a believer maintain his fellowship with God. And so the first one's the burnt offering. You can see right off the bat that we're hitting it right out of the gate in the book of Leviticus. Uh, Verses 3 through 17 of chapter 1. Everything of the animal except the skin was burnt on the altar, and it all went up to God as a sweet aroma. We have the highest aspect of the work of Christ where he's seen offering himself up entirely to God to do his will, even to death. And so I show this three for just this one specific offering, verse 9, verse 13, and verse 17, where it says over and over and over again, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. There is a month of sermons to talk about the pleasing aroma to the Lord, what's baked in there, what it means, but we don't have a month of sermons. The next offering is a meal offering, and it's detailed in Leviticus 2, verses 1 through 16. This is a meal or a grain offering. There's no blood, no animal. Um, And so it speaks to the perfection of Christ's life. There's a flower that has to be fine and perfect, and there's oil that pictures the grace, uh, also um, the Holy Spirit. And there's frankincense involved. There's just this beautiful picture of of grain and perfume and flour brought to the Lord. And what's cool about it, in in chapter 2, verses 3 and 10, it says these exact words twice, but the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. And so what you'll see throughout these offerings, if you're going to read Leviticus, you're going to see many times that when they bring the offering, some of it goes on the altar and some of it goes to take care of the folks that are working in the temple, um, the priests. And so the last of these three is the peace offering. And we're in Leviticus 3 verses 1 through 17 of this. This offering was an animal, 
And it's the same deal. Part of it was offered to God on the altar, and part of it was offered to the priests. And so the fact that both God and man participate, indeed feed on the same offering, it really speaks to the communion and fellowship that we enjoy because of Christ. And in chapter 3, verse 5, again we see this. A food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And so I want you to think just for a moment about what a pleasing aroma to the Lord could possibly mean. Could possibly mean. Right? We spend so much time as believers saying, okay, yes, our sin, mm, a pleasing aroma. This is an animal. It's cleansed or it's um, a meal. A pleasing aroma to the Lord. The willingness of the person giving it, the cleanliness of the sacrifice, these are the things that made it a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The willingness of the person giving it and the cleanliness of the sacrifice. Can you see Christ in that? It's not hard, is it? Okay. Two more types of offerings. Cleansing offerings. The sin and the trespass. And when you hear about offerings and sacrifices in the Old Testament, these are the two you think about. These are the two we always go to. Why? Because these were because you sinned. And they were required when you sinned for forgiveness. And so there were two offerings that were required, the sin offering and the trespass offering. Nine times in this short amount of text that we're dealing with here, nine times, the text says that the one who offered these two offerings shall be forgiven. Nine times. The sin and the trespass offerings were designed to restore a believer's fellowship with God once that fellowship had been broken by sin. And so, the first one's the sin offering. It's Leviticus 4, 1 through 5, 13. You can see how much space is taken to talk about this. And this is for an intentional sin. I did something wrong. If it was ever public, that was where the sin offering was offered. And Leviticus 5.13 puts a point on it. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any one of these things, and he shall be forgiven. Jumping right on to the very next verse after that, verses five, chapter 5, verses 14 through 6, 7, we're talking about the trespass offering. And the trespass offering is much more of, it's not in the original Hebrew, of an oops sin. It's unintentional. I didn't mean to do that. I did something and I realized I wronged someone. It wasn't something that I meant to do. That's what the trespass offering is for. Did you even know there was a difference? <laughs> There is. Leviticus 6, 7 says, And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. 
Okay. It's five offerings that Leviticus details. And they're of two types, and I really just hope that you're able to, to, to understand from the perspective of when we look at this book, what is it trying to tell us? It's very much teaching us that God cares about perfection, God is perfect, God is holy, and that he has made a way for those that are not perfect and that are not holy to be able to be in his presence. And the mechanism that he has for that is a sacrifice, is an offering. Okay? And so, if you don't get that, right? If you're, if you're not a somewhat student of your Old Testament and you decide to bust open your New Testament and jump right in there, there's going to be things that are going to be confusing. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist was crushing it, right? And the Bible tells us that all the Jewish nation came out to be baptized by him. John Baptist, you know, just inspired by God. He was out there, baptism of repentance. And the religious leaders could not figure him out. They couldn't figure out why he was doing this. And they said to him, and this is um, in John, he says, why? They said, why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, or you're not the prophet? And John said, and you guys will remember this, there is one coming, and I'm not worthy to untie his sandal. And then John 129, the very next day, it says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If we don't have our Old Testaments, this makes no sense. This makes no sense at all. And so while we struggle with reading through some of our Old Testament, it points us to something greater. And so Leviticus gives us a clear picture. And, and I would challenge those of you that haven't or have, have, have hit the buzzsaw of Leviticus in your Bible reading plan to go spend some time in it after we kind of bathe ourselves in the realities of what it's about today. But it gives us a clear picture of what John is saying here. Understanding our Old Testament is key to our understanding of the New Testament. And I'll just be perfectly frank with you. David, where are you? I know you're here. Oh, whoa! Now I'm all messed up, right? So David... <laughs> David is the guy that gets to pick out... And he's the guy that gets to because I said I didn't, I didn't want to do it. Um, Lists out, okay, here's what we're attacking. Here's what we're going to do week after week, and then we drop in um, who on the preaching team can, uh, can do it. And I got this one, and I looked at it, and I went, oh, offerings and feasts, 30 to 40 minutes, cover how they point to Jesus. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, again, will be honest with you, this took tons more time. And you drop me in Romans 1 through 16. Uh, there's a lot of work to really make the connections here. And so here we are. Let's do this together. Again, 
understanding our New Testament, Ephesians 5.2. This is Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus. He says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And what does it say? A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A pleasing aroma to the Lord. Acceptable. Are you looking for a memory verse? Go ahead and snap this one. Uh, Fantastic one to remind us of what Jesus has done for us. And I want you to hear this. I don't do this a whole lot, but the Hebrew word that's translated offering, these five offerings, it's korban. It means literally a thing brought near. A thing brought near. And so the sacrifices and offerings provided the means by which a worshiper could come into the presence of God. And all of these that we just reviewed were just trailers. They're just trailers pointing to the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus who gave himself up for us. Our sin was placed on him so we could be brought near to God. That's the five offerings. Okay, now we have eight feasts. We can relate more to the feasts, especially with some of our Baptist heritage. But we're going to be in Leviticus 23. And, and Leviticus 23 details them out just kind of uh, generally, and then there's different places in Leviticus that talk about all the details. And we're going to dive into one of them for a few minutes. Uh, but in Leviticus 23, verse 1, this is what... God says to Moses, he says, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. All right. And so if you want to turn to Leviticus 23, this is where we're going to be. Uh, a, A cool kind of summary of them. But what's interesting is what God says is the first feast in Leviticus 23 is not one that we typically think of as a feast. It's the Sabbath. It's interesting as you read in Leviticus 23, verse 2 jumps right into the Sabbath. Hmm. This day was celebrated by a suspension of all labor and it commemorated the original creation rest and the deliverance of, e- of Israel from Egypt. And Hebrews 4 talks about Jesus as our Sabbath rest. If, you wanna, if you're taking notes and you want to write Hebrews 4, you'll see that detailed uh, greatly. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So we've got the Sabbath. Then just a couple verses after, the Feast of Passover, Leviticus 23, 4 through 5. And what you're going to find as you go through this is like, wow, this is like a top 10 list where these are the ones I've heard of. And then slowly we're going to get down to the ones where I I hear very rarely about. The Passover began at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. And the Feast of Passover was every family ate a roasted lamb which memorialized the lamb slain and eaten 
on the night that Israel was delivered from Egypt. And David showed us back then how the Passover pointed to Jesus when we were studying Exodus. 1 Corinthians 5.7 says this, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Next, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Verses 6 through 8, Leviticus 23. Started on Passover, lasted seven days. The first and last days of the feast were Sabbaths. So it started with no work and ended with no work. And special offerings were presented each day. And so what I want you to see as you read about your feasts, that the feasts almost always included offerings that we just talked about. And it's interesting that our God is a God that details out some parties. We call them feasts, we call them festivals. These were a wonderful time of the Jewish nation getting together, having a wonderful time, remembering and pointing toward Christ. We're on the Feast of First Fruits, Leviticus 23, 9 through 14. This was on the first day of the new week after Passover. And this was a barley sheaf was waved before the Lord to express gratitude for the spring harvest. And again, burnt meal and drink offerings were presented to God. Let's keep going. The Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, Leviticus 23, verses 15 through 22. It was observed 50 days after the presentation of the first fruits. It was a Sabbath day. And wheat loaves were waved before the Lord. And then a burnt offering consisting of seven male lambs, two rams, and a bull were presented. Got the Feast of Trumpets next. You see how fast we're going here? You can certainly take Leviticus 23 and read through it on your own time. The sacred seventh month was brought in with the Feast of Trumpets. And the blowing of a ram's horn signaled that all regular work was to be stopped. And again, special offerings were presented. A couple more. We're going to camp out on this one just for a minute. The Day of Atonement. Leviticus 23, 26 through 32 details it briefly. And then in chapter 16, it goes into uh, great detail. So the Day of Atonement, if you were to look at the Jewish calendar and you would say, all right, what's the big one? This was it. It was the 10th day of the 7th month. It was a Sabbath day. And it was the only required fast day of the year. We hear about fasting a lot. This is the only day that it was required that people fast. And right in the middle of Leviticus, in chapter 16, is this, this, the ceremony is detailed that the people held to be more holy and more crucial than any other. It was a day so meaningful that they simply called it Yoma, the day. They didn't need the Day of Atonement, it's just the day. That's what the Day of Atonement was. 
was the one day a year when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. The one day a year to atone for the sins of the entire people. And so this amazing Old Testament scholar, Ray Dillard, uh, describes the meticulous preparation the priest went through. Just have a listen. And imagine this being your job. A week beforehand, the high priest was put into seclusion, taken away from his home and into a place where he was completely alone. Why? So he wouldn't accidentally touch or eat anything unclean. Clean food was brought to him, and he'd wash his body and prepare his heart. The night before the Day of Atonement, he stayed up all night, praying and reading God's Word to purify his soul. Then on Yom Kippur, he bathed head to toe and dressed in pure, unstained white linen. Then he went into the Holy of Holies and offered an animal sacrifice to God to atone or pay the penalty for his own sins. This is his first trip in. After that, he came out and bathed completely again, and new white linen was put on him, and he went in again, this time sacrificing for the sins of the priests. But that's not all. He would come out a third time, and he bathed again from head to toe, and they dressed him in brand new pure linen, and he went into the Holy of Holies and atoned for the sins of all the people. And this was all done in public. The temple was crowded, and those in attendance watched closely. There was a thin screen, and he bathed behind it. But the people were present. They saw him bathe, dress, go in, come back out. He was their representative before God, and they were there cheering him on. They were very concerned to make sure that everything was done properly and with purity because he represented them before God. You imagine signing up for this role where a week ahead of time you're dropped into seclusion and the amount of ritual cleansing you have to go through to be able to enter the Holy of Holies, you do it three times and the whole time everyone is watching to make sure that you get it right because you've got to get it right. You can look in other places in Scripture where if you entered the Holy of Holies and you didn't get it right, it went bad. And so here's what a lot of people miss about the Day of Atonement and about the book of Leviticus in general. It's all about Jesus. You don't have to look too closely to see the fingerprints of Jesus all through that ceremony. And if you go home and you read through the events of the Passion Week, you'll see that Jesus was staging his own day of atonement. He, had to, he prepared a week beforehand. He didn't sleep the night before. The list is so long of what Jesus accomplished. And when Jesus died and he breathed his last and cried out, it's finished, it's accomplished, the temple itself responded. There was a thick curtain that he that had stood between the Holy of Holies and the people, the symbol of God's separation from humanity, 
That was the curtain that the priest on the Day of Atonement had to go through three times after each time being cleansed. It was ripped in two from top to bottom. And for the first time in history, the way to God was wide open. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so... We misread the book of Leviticus when we come away saying, oh my word, that was so many laws and so many rules. Leviticus wasn't written primarily to tell the people all they needed to do, it to show them all that God would do for them. So our, if the effect of reading Leviticus shouldn't be, oh my word, look at how much I have to do, but oh, look how much God's done for me. So we've got one more um, feast right here. Leviticus 23, verses 33 through 44, the Feast of Tabernacles. Began on the 15th day of the seventh month. That seventh month, seventh month is pretty, pretty um, key. The first and last were Sabbath days. And during the week of the Feast of Tabernacles, the people lived in booths to remind them of wandering in the wilderness and many sacrifices were made during the week. And so I want to close today by having us say, okay, what is the Bible, does the Bible help us in how to think about these offerings and feasts? And what's great, um, Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. He wrote the book of Colossians. It was a letter. And the letter was written to fortify the church against false teachers who were trying to impose strict rules about eating and drinking and religious festivals. And in that, Colossians 1, if you recall the beauty of how Paul shows the superiority of Christ over and above everything in creation and every tradition. In Colossians 2, verse 13, got it up here, here's what he says, and you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Okay? So that's a that's a harken back to the two offerings we just saw. Verse 14. How do you do that? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Okay? So in verses 13 and 14, Paul is just saying, guess what? You're done. Your sin, the, the, the consequence for your sin is done. Your sin is nailed to the cross. And we've got some songs we sing that celebrate that. Moving forward, verse 16. This is what Paul says to a New Testament church. He says, therefore, let no one. And I'd love to hear him say this. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Wait, but these are all really important things, Paul. This is no, don't let anyone pass judgment on you when it comes to these things. Verse 17, this is where Paul says it. These are a shadow 
of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. If movie trailers existed in Paul's day, I'm sure he would have used that. But these things are God's trailers pointing to Christ. And so I want to finish up with my original point. The offerings and feasts detailed in Leviticus are God's trailers pointing to something much greater. And they all point to Christ. And so John, in his first epistle, he says this. 1 John 4.10, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And you're like, propitiation? What? That atonement. The word atonement means covering. But he sent his son to cover our sins. And so we can see the theme of Leviticus when we when we understand it in the context of our entire Bible, we see that God graciously provides a way for people to live in his presence. This is why we're here. This is what we celebrate. God graciously provides a way for people to live in his presence. And so if the singers and musicians would go ahead and come on up, I want to ask, I want to ask a question God has graciously provided a way for us to live in his presence. Are you confidently living in his presence, knowing that every requirement of the law, every requirement that was written down has been covered, has been taken care of? Our, our inability to meet those demands has been covered by Jesus' sacrifice? If you haven't put your trust in Jesus either here or listening online, this would be the day that I would say, press into it, ask questions, chase it hard. If you are someone that's put your trust in Christ, Leviticus tells us how much freedom we have, how much has been covered. Romans 8.1 says, for each and every one of us that have put our trust in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? All right, we are going to close singing the song, Jesus Paid It All. I love when the music ties out so well to the message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, boy, we're in 2021. We're in a time just thousands of years removed from the sacrifices and offerings that we see detailed in Leviticus. And boy, it's hard for us to relate to. We don't, we, we would never even consider doing some of these things. We have no cultural context for it. And yet, however, you've used your word to communicate to us the importance of holiness, the importance of perfection in approaching you. And so each and every one of us today wants to confess that we're not perfect that we have no chance of approaching your throne, of being in your presence. 
without the atoning sacrifice of Jesus who covers us. So we thank you for that. And as we sing this song, Jesus paid it all, may our hearts just rejoice in the reality of it is all paid for. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.